Hello, Michael Williams here for The Teller in the Tale. And this week is a rewind session where we go back to 2013 and my interview with Scottish storyteller Paula Cowie. And this week we're in the sunny kingdom of Fife in Scotland, of course, to meet my very special guest, storyteller Paula Cowie. Welcome, Paula. Hi, Michael. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, we've had a lovely sunny day here in Fife, so it's been a good day. It's always sunny over there. I stay in Edinburgh, <laughs> and every time I look across the Firth of Forth, the sun is always shining over there. Mm. I think it even shines at night. Um, Polly, I know you live in Fife now. Can you just tell people a little bit about about um, the area that you live in and, and what, what's that like? Yeah, I live in a very small village. I suppose it could be called a hamlet. Mm-hmm. Um, a few houses scattered around. It's very rural. Um, we've pretty much always got the Lomond Hills in our sights, east and west Lomond, so that's that's lovely. Right. Um, quite a lot of wooded area and lots of farming. Mm. Life was uh, pretty peaceful, pretty quiet, um, lots of community. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody knew you and you knew everybody, <laughs> so it felt very safe. Um, yeah. Were, were your family involved in, in the fishing trade? Yeah, very much. Um, going back a few generations, one of my sort of great-grandfathers was actually the person who introduced um, fishing to that part of Scotland. Um, it's an area that a lot of people were um, sort of forced to go to after the Highland clearances mm. from all the, the, the straths around there. And a lot of the crofters ended up on the coast without the skills, without the fishing skills. So going back through the cowies, um, you'll find that's where the fishing started. And my uncle, who's still alive, um, he was the last cowie to fish out of the harbour there. Um, oh, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago now he retired. Mm. And uh, that finished about 300 years of fishing for us in, uh, in our family. Growing up there, did, do you think that had an influence on on your your love of story and storytelling? Definitely, yeah. Um, I suppose you could call it, you know, quite a, quite a gossipy kind of upbringing. Mm. But you know, there was something really nice about that too. People would come in, and you know, they would be talking about what was going on in the village, and you know, it was kind of like the day would be at some point in the day, somebody would come in and say, you know sort of what's going on, what, what's the crack, was the, was the saying. Um, you know, it's like, what's your story? Yeah. What, what have you got to tell me today? So there was always an awful lot of that in my life. Um, and my grandfather, who was also a fisherman, uh, he loved telling stories. Mm. So one of my fondest memories growing up was, was sitting with my grandfather in his armchair, usually on a Sunday afternoon, and uh, listening to him t- tell me stories. Oh, usually, it. usually about the sea. There, were, there was usually some element of of sea life in there, and uh, and I just couldn't get enough of them. Mm. Well, I know you love stories, and and uh, I've heard you tell stories. I know you're a great storyteller, so you've obviously inherited some of the the that family trait for uh, for telling stories. Do you do you tell uh, any of those childhood stories or or stories passed on from your your parents or grandparents? Yeah, that's interesting. Not really. I think I've kind of found my own um, type of story. I, I tell a lot of stories that are connected to nature. 
shows a lot of nature and a lot of the outdoors in my stories, but nothing particularly um, about the sea. Having said that, I mean, I do some of my favourite stories are stories about the seal folk. Um, but you know, I enjoy I, I enjoy being close to stories that are about about the sea and about the coast. Yes, yes. Uh, they're, they're not usually the ones that I tell myself. What um, what stories attract you? You mentioned about your love of nature. Well, I spend quite a lot of time uh, working with children and, and being out um, in the woods, and that's something that inspires me a lot. So a lot of my stories have have uh, you know stories of woodland woodland tales and about trees and plants and and people and animals. You know, mm. there's a lot there's a lot of that in them. Now I know that you've. Um You've, you've taken your storytelling and combined it with your, your other love, of course, of, of nature. But I also know you to be quite a, uh, um, a very dedicated uh, environmentalist um, and, and environmental campaigner. Can you tell us a little bit about, uh, about that work that you do? Yeah, um, about 13 years ago I set up a, a small charity that works with community groups um, and we're called Sustainable Communities Initiatives and SCI for short because there's three very long words there mm -hmm. um, and SCI is really about looking at social sustainability and environmental sustainability so bringing people together through maybe the mediums of, um, of building or, or making things with waste looking at um, non-fossil fuel projects mm -hmm. um, and, and basically kind of inspiring people to have fun together and be creative with some of these problems that we have to date, that we have to face. Okay, we'll talk a little bit uh, more about that uh, in, a, in a wee while. Um, but you mentioned about um, uh, you, work, uh, you work out of doors, and uh, I know you do a lot of storytelling out of doors as well. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about um, some of the, uh, the experiences you've had there? Yeah, um, I just love, I love to be out in the woods, and I, I love just kind of sitting on the earth, you know, there's nothing better than sitting in amongst a load of um, rustling leaves and, you know, the branches are up above you and mm. the kids are sitting around you and you're just telling stories. So, and we're really lucky here in this part of Fife to have some really great woodlands. Um, and my son goes to a school that's right next door to a beautiful uh, broadleaf woodland. So I spend quite a lot of time in there and uh, taking the kids out and, doing other things with them too, other activities, but uh, there's always a story as part of the day. And how do you, how do you work stories into your life? Because I know you have a busy life, you're a working mum, and uh, you have your environmental projects. Um, where, does, how, where, do, where and how does storytelling fit into your life? Well, I, I basically weave it in wherever I can. Um, mm -hmm. I tend to create projects around the idea of storytelling, so, you know, um, during my work with SCI, we do things like we go out to schools and deliver eco days or eco weeks. We have a thing in Scotland where schools can um, try to get something called a green flag to make their school have some sort of environmental status. Yes. So I'll I'll go out and I'll I'll we'll work in in schools for a day or a week, and stories can be part of you know the program that we deliver. Mm -hmm. um, I myself just I can you know, usually rummage some funding together to, to put a story on specifically, you know, around, say, outdoor storytelling, for example. What was your story? How were you called to, to storytelling? Well, that's really interesting if I try to pinpoint it. I mean, I think, you know, when I look back over my life, I think a lot of it 
was just in there, you know, just from my roots. It was from my grandfather and from my, from where I was brought up. Mm. But if I was to pinpoint it, I can remember vividly a day where I went to visit um, another storyteller that lives in Fife called Judy Patterson. And uh, she's a great storyteller. And I, and I was working with Judy, um, helping her with her horses, because horses are, is another love of my life. Mm. And uh, we were working together, just you know, look, looking after her ponies and doing some work with them. And I remember her telling me that she was a storyteller. The more that I started to explore this journey of becoming a storyteller, which I did through, you know, going on courses and listening to a story, you know, to storytellers, and you know, I just started to develop my skills, and um, it's it's just been a, a journey. And mm. then all the while, I guess, um, yeah, the memories and the kind of significance of of that time with my, not just my grandfather, but my 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 granny too. You know, she she told. Her own, in her own way, she was a storyteller. Mm. So yeah, yeah, it made sense. It made sense. And your 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 son must uh, must love having a storytelling mother. <laughs> yeah, well, he's he's been um, he's been very useful because mm -hmm. uh, not only does he now uh, he's my greatest critic, really. Right. He, 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 I test out all my stories on him, and he's very honest <laughs> about what he likes. And yes, what yes. Like. But in the earlier days, when he was younger. Um, he used to challenge me all the time because he'd say, tell me a story, mum. And I'd say, okay. And then I would be sitting there, you know, with my own idea of the kind of story I was uh, wanting to tell. But, uh, oh, no, he would have specific requests of what had to be in the story. Uh, so, of course. You know, course. It, it made me um, really think on my feet. Mm. So, so you know, he's he, it's been great. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and your parents, uh, are they aware that, you're, that you tell stories? You're a storyteller? Yes, um, well, especially my mum. Yeah. Uh, she's, she's been to see uh, see me tell stories, and um, she feels very proud. She loves having a storyteller in the family. <laughs> oh, that's great. And and what about your friends? Uh, do, do they think it's strange that you're a storyteller? Not strange, no. Um, it, some friends that I suppose, you know, they've known me in a different context, you know, maybe through my environmental work or something like that, you know, they... It might be a little bit surprised at first, but mm. uh, I mean, yeah, in the beginning, anyhow. But but not now. Okay. No. Well, we'll talk. We'll talk more about um, your your storytelling and your environmental work. But I'm wondering if we could entice you to to share a story with us right now. Yeah, I'd love to. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Anything you need and to I've say got, about it before you start? Well, I was just thinking. Um, it's it's actually a Canadian folktale. So. <laughs> wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. It's just one of my um, one of my favorite stories that I like to tell to the children. Well, our friends in Canada will love that, so thank you. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's called the Long Winter, okay. and uh, this is the story. Um, yeah, it it takes place um, a very very long time ago, so long ago that it was before there were humans on the earth. The earth was just full of animals. Animals of all shapes and sizes, more animal types than we know now today. So at this time of the story, it was a time when a long winter had set in. And the animals, they hadn't seen sunshine or felt heat for three long winters. For three long years, all they knew was snow and ice and frost and cold. Now, 
they didn't enjoy being hungry because without the heat, very little grew. Without the sun to bring on the plants, food was very, very sparse. So being hungry was hard, but what the animals found hardest of all was being cold. They just really missed the heat. So it was after the third long, long winter that the wise owl decided to do something about it. He knew that things just couldn't go on like this for much longer. So he called all the animals together and they had a favorite meeting place under the most majestic, biggest, oldest oak tree in the woods. So one crisp morning, they all gathered under this oak tree and the owl sat up in his branches looking down. And slowly he just looked around at this mass of animals and they, they seemed to all be there. But he was just looking and he was checking out and he was looking at their faces to see how they felt. And that's when he noticed that Bear wasn't there. There was everyone else. And he thought, hmm, I don't think I've seen Bear for three years. Anyhow, the meeting began and there was lots of emotion as you can imagine. They all started to talk, they all started to say how they felt and how they were so fed up, fed up being cold and shivery at night and no warm sun on their faces in the mornings. Well, it was deer and fox who spoke the loudest at first. They started to say, look, we can't just sit around here. We've got to go somewhere. We've got to, go. We've got to do something. But it was little squirrel who was sitting in the corner who said, well, it's obvious what we need to do. We need to go and find the heat and bring it back. Well, there was a lot of excitement. There was lots of excited murmurs and they all agreed that was the best plan. But where and how? I mean, where, where could the heat be? And it was one of the hedgehogs who spoke up next and said, well, what about the upper world? Isn't that where the heat will be? Isn't that the obvious place to start? The owl nodded his head very wisely and he said, yep, that sounds like a great plan. The next challenge was to think about who should go. Who had the skills? Who had the courage? Who could do this amazing thing for the, for the animal world? Well, those that had spoken, the deer and the fox and the hedgehog and the squirrel, they were all game. They were all ready to go. And then when the animals discussed it, they thought, well, yeah, they've got skills. They've got good noses on them, sharp eyesight. There was also Little Mouse who said he wanted to go. Well, at first there was a little little laughter because they thought, well, what, what can he do? But he was determined. He puffed his little chest out and he said, well, if nothing else, I've got really sharp teeth. And Badger, Badger stepped forward and he said, look, I'm a nocturnal creature and there might be something that we need to do at night. So the six of them, so there was deer and there was fox and there was badger and there was squirrel and there was hedgehog and there was mouse and they all set off. 
Well, it took them quite a long time to find their way into the upper world. They looked this way and that, and eventually it was a trap door that they found, and it was a trap door that they went through. They were glad to get there, and they were very glad because in a few minutes, it didn't take long at all once they got through that door, that they started to see something. Because there in front of them was a great big blue lake, and at the side of the lake stood a teepee. And they noticed outside the teepee, couple of baby bears, a couple of bear cubs. And they thought, hmm, maybe they'll know something. So they walked along the shore of the lake and they went and had a chat with the bears. The young bears were delighted to see them. They looked like they hadn't seen company in a while. But Fox, he was wily and he knew that where there were baby bears, not far away, there was going to be a mother bear. So he said to his friends, look, we mustn't hang about. I'm sure she'll be back soon. And it was he who asked one of the young cubs. He said, Where, where's your mum? Where's she gone? She was out hunting. And yes, she probably would be back soon. Just before, they were thinking of leaving the teepee at the side of the lake. It was Badger that spotted some bags hanging up from the poles inside the teepee. There were four bags altogether. So the animals asked in turn what was in the bags. The first bag, well, the young cub said, oh, well, that's where our mama keeps the rain. Ah, okay. And the second one, that was the fog, of course. And the third one, that was the wind. Mm -hmm. And the fox said, well, how about the fourth bag? But that's when the young cubs went very quiet. They shook their head and they said, mm, mm -mm. Mama told us not to tell what was in that bag. That's a big secret. And if we tell you, well, she might give us a bop round the ears. Oh, go on, said the fox. You can tell us. We can keep a secret. We won't tell anyone. So it was the little brother, the youngest cub, he said, oh, all right then, that's where Mama keeps the heat. Ah, the heat. Well, the animals all looked at each other. They'd found what they were looking for. But they knew they were smart enough. They couldn't just walk in there and take this bag in front of the cubs. So they said their goodbyes and they headed off to find a little sheltered spot so they could sit down and have a bit of a powwow and decide what they were going to do. Well, there was lots of excitement. They were really happy that they'd found this heat at last. So, lots of ideas. Squirrel, oh, he just wanted to go bounding in there in the middle of the night, just grab the bag and run. But no, they were a bit too scared to do that. It was Deer who said, well, you know, I've seen how fast these big bears can run. And if she wakes up, oh, no thanks. Well... There was other ideas. What about, I don't know, making some sort of like really loud noise and scaring them? Maybe then the mama bear would run off and then they could run in and grab the bag. But no, that didn't seem quite right either. In the end, little mouse said, well, look, what about if we try and trick her? What about you, dear? Why can't you 
pretend to be her prey. You could head off and you could, um, I don't know, start munching the grass on the other side of the lake or something and, and let her sort of, you know, sneak up on you. She could, she could be hunting and she'll be so focused that she'll, she'll not see us. Well, Deer didn't really like this idea too much, but he thought, well, he was a fast runner and the lake was big, so okay, well, yeah, he was willing to give it a try. The animals thought this was a fine plan, but the mouse had more to say. He said, well, look, she's bound to, at some point, decide to jump into one of these canoes that are sitting here. And if she gets into that canoe and starts paddling, well, she's going to travel pretty fast across that lake. So how about I run up now, chew some of that ore out with my fine, sharp teeth, and that'll slow her down. Well, they were so impressed with Little Mouse, but they said to him, best to wait till dark. So, when all the bears seemed to be asleep, and it was very, very dark and still that night, Little Mouse had a big task to do. He crept up, he went into the canoe, and he gnawed and gnawed with those little sharp teeth of his. He didn't snap the oar completely, but he made it pretty weak and thin. In the morning, first dawn, Mama Bear came out of her teepee, and sure enough, hungry as anything, she started looking for some food for her and her cubs. And she spotted Deer. He was already in place, munching away at the grass, well, one eye on the grass and one eye across the lake. She paced up and down and she thought, how can she get over there as fast as she could? And she decided, as, as Mouse had predicted, to jump into the canoe and row across the lake. Well, Deer had to hold his ground, very courageous he was. He just munched and munched with that one eye watching her. And he let her get pretty close. The animals were very surprised. And that was when he decided to, to take off. Basically, he doubled back and he started to head away from the bear. But she didn't want to let him get away, so she got that aura and she paddled as fast and furiously as she could. And of course, when she was putting all her weight onto it, it did exactly what the animals hoped it would do, and it snapped. Well, she was furious. She jumped out of the canoe and she started swimming and splashing, and she was just so determined not to let deer get away. That was when the animals took their chance. The others ran into the teepee. They grabbed that bag of heat, and they ran back the way they had come the day before. What surprised them most of all was the weight of the bag. It was heavy, heavy. Well, they took turns and they tried to do it jointly and they rolled it and they shared the weight, they shared the load as much as they could. But boy, it was hard work. It was a long way back to that trap door with this big, heavy bag. Bear, well, she'd heard the commotion. She'd seen what happened. Deer had disappeared now. He'd ran for safety. She was furious. She got back onto the lake shore as fast as she could, and she went in hot pursuit of the animals. Well, they scratched and pulled and scraped and did all they could, and they got not too far away from the trap door when Bear was suddenly upon them. And it was with one last almighty shove 
with a big joint effort that they rolled that big bag of heat through the trap door. And they all went cascading after it in a big tumble. <sighs> They'd made it. It was when the bag hit the ground that everything changed. The heat started to just escape, slowly going over the ground. And almost instantly, the snow and the ice and the frost that the animals had lived with for three long years started to melt. Well, you can imagine, the waters rose hugely overnight. The water levels went up and up and up, and it almost seemed like there was going to be a huge flood with all this snow melt. But very quickly, they went back down. And that was when you saw the little green shoots starting to come out everywhere. All the little plants started to grow again. The trees came back into bud. The flowers started to bloom and all the animals started to sing. And so, from that day on, we've always known that after a cold season, there'll be a warm one. And I hope that that's what you're enjoying today. You've been listening to Scottish storyteller Paula Cowie, uh, and that was a telling of an old Canadian folktale. Uh, lovely, Paula. You're, you're just such a soothing and, and comforting voice, and I can understand why children uh, would just be enraptured um, listening to you. And uh, a story like that in particular, just just full of wonderful imagery. Can I can I ask you? Can you sh share with our listeners your your own view on on how important storytelling is, and and what what's your perception of of um, the, the place of storytelling in the world today when we have so much you know internet and iPads and um, smartphones and and uh, the, the media is such a presence in our in our lives yeah it's something michael that i feel really passionately about actually the the kind of the antidote to all of that um for me you know is it is story it is it is telling stories and um, inspiring children especially just to to slow down to stop to be even for just a few moments you know 10 minutes of the day and let their imaginations come alive again because I believe you know sitting down with computers and iPads and all of these, these things are you know the opposite of imagination mm. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it's something I, I care greatly about. Um, and I think having worked with children of all ages now, um, for me, there is a great mystery in storytelling. There, there is a pure magic that I don't understand fully what it does, mm. but I know it's something powerful. I've seen it on their faces and I've heard their words, you know, after storytelling. And it, it's 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 not explainable. And I, and I don't even really need it to be i just i just know it's worth doing mm -hmm. yeah well that's that's uh actually a, a beautiful way of of putting it and uh as our our time is slipping away but i i want to give you time paula to uh just share with us what what's coming up for you well um i've got two um two ideas i'd like to share with you just briefly yeah, uh, one sure. is a, one is a project that um that i'm lucky enough to have already received funding for uh, called Listen, mm -hmm. and uh, it's to work in local schools to take children out to the same spot 
four times a year, so one day in each season. Get them to, as I said, just to sit and to be in the, in that spot and hear stories and tell stories mm. and be creative and compare each time they go in the year to, you know, to, to the one before, to really feel the difference of, of the seasons and and that place that they're in. So I'm looking forward to starting that in August. Um, so our first day together will be obviously summer um, and then we'll move through the seasons till we do a full circle. And another project that I'm trying to put together at the moment is um, it's a story that ties in my work um, at SCI, at uh, Sustainable Communities Initiatives, at our Earthship, which is a, an autonomous uh, sustainable building. Mm-hmm. And um, I've written a story for children that explains to them how the Earthship works and how I brought it to Scotland. It's the only one of its kind in Scotland. And it's also full of activities. It's, it's a book and it's got activities to then get children older primary school children retelling that story to younger children so it's to help them develop their storytelling skills well paul i know i know many people will want to find out more about your work do you have a website a place where people can go and learn more i don't yet i don't but sci has a website okay. so um that's sci-scotland.org.uk okay sci-scotland.org.uk that's it. That's wonderful, and I'm uh, and I encourage people to to check that out and to look into Paula's work. But in the meantime, Paula, I want to thank you very, very much for joining us here on the Teller and the Tale, and for sharing uh, a little bit of your life and um, and wonderfully sharing that that wonderful story with us. Um, and I, I I know um, you know many of us will be will be thinking of that, and hopefully will be encouraged to uh, pick up storytelling uh, themselves. Anything else you'd like to say, Paula, before we go? Uh, I don't think so, Michael. Just thank you very much for asking me to be here tonight. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. Thank you very, very much. You've been listening to uh, A Teller and the Tale. And until next time, um, from Paula and I here in Scotland, we say goodbye. Goodbye. If you're a fan of storytelling, why not go to thetellerandthetale.com and learn a lot more about our storytelling guests and listen again to many of our fine programs, thetellerinthetale.com or our Facebook site. Meanwhile, stay tuned to Blues and Roots Radio, the home of the independent artist, and more stories and songs to come. This is Michael Williams for The Teller in the Tale, saying goodbye for now. <laughs>